Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to the first of a two-part special with one of Ireland's most loved and most feared comedians. With more of us back training and even contact allowed in Switzerland, there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So to keep our positive mood flowing, we welcome onto this Sunday's game the best thing to come out of Inneskeen since the road to Dundalk, Oliver Callum. He'll tell us about being the child of a mixed marriage, the drumlin doldrums of Monaghan GAA, and why comedy chose him. And most importantly, just who is Paddy Kavanagh? But first, a bit of news. Former Antrim minor player Michael O'Neill was responsible for the cancellation of his side's friendly with Manchester United after he tested positive for COVID. The former Shamrock Rovers Northern Ireland boss was due to lead out his Stoke City side at the United training ground in Carrington. However, the match was cancelled when it was revealed that he had tested positive for coronavirus. Former The Sunday's Game guest John Horan suggested that Club Park might allow 21,000 fans in for games with the current social distancing rules. And that, if the distance is reduced to one metre, double that number might get in. The GA president also mentioned that Hill 16 could have temporary seating installed to which there was a unified negative response. A Dublin fan spokesman said there'd be as much chance of erecting a statue to Cromwell in Drogheda than putting seats on the hill. A spokesperson for the other 32 counties basically agreed. Should the Dubs have all their millions from the GAA, leave them stand, they don't deserve more luxury. Clare legend and Wexford hurling boss Dave Fitzgerald said on Sunday night that this year isn't about All-Irelands, nor is it club over county or vice versa. Speaking with Des Cahill, he said that for the last couple of months, things have been tough. People have been worried about getting COVID. People have lost loved ones and our deepest sympathies are with them. Through all of it, the country has stuck together. We just need to finish this off. We are a resilient bunch and please God, we'll be back out in the fields soon. We'll mind each other and take care of each other. Things will be good. Things are looking up. 83-year-old Roger Federer will miss whatever else happens in 2020 due to a knee injury. The 20-time Grand Slam winner announced earlier today that he's had a setback following a February operation. In his tweet, he promised he'd be back in 2021. English football's leagues one and two were decided on average points per game yesterday. Coventry and Rotherham go up from League One, though League Two champion Swindon might yet be relegated due to ongoing disciplinary matters. With almost a dozen clubs facing financial ruin in League Two alone, there might yet be a very different landscape come August. As English football's focus remains on the men's game, record women's goalscorer Kelly Smith hit out at the media and governing bodies. She took aim at the millions of euros spent on testing alone for the men's game and the women's clubs who have suffered as a result of the early finish. She said to BBC that I do feel an injustice for Liverpool being relegated because they would have felt like they could have got out of that situation at the bottom of the league with about eight games to go. I also feel sorry for Arsenal because they missed out on a Champions League spot. It's a sad way to end the season and certain clubs are going to be hurting because of that. Already half of the women's top flight teams have put themselves on notice for liquidation or bankruptcy. And finally, Spain's La Liga returns from tomorrow. Games will be back behind closed doors and played every single day. With Barcelona only two points ahead of Real Madrid, it depends on Real getting up to speed very, very quickly. The remainder of the season opens with the Sevilla Derby between Sevilla and Real Betis. I'm delighted to have on the show today a man of immense talent, 
many voices, many personalities, but one most important thing is he's from Inneskeen. So I'm very delighted to welcome on. I, I can't even say he's a countryman because only my family from down that neck of the woods. So a very warm welcome, Oliver Callum. Well, uh, hello to Dobre Dovedenia, Dobreden. How do we say that? Dobreden. Oh, Dobreden. Yeah, Dobreden. Yeah, Dobreden. Yeah, That's a well horse, as you say well in the horse. scheme. <laughs> hey, and then he graduated hey. to well horse box. What a time! And yeah, and hey is at the end of the sentence. Hey. <laughs> You know, it's something that um, I, I made an, an awful mistake all at once when I, I was introduced to one of the members of um, Gaelic Games Europe at, at a, a conference in Louvain in, in uh, Belgium, as you would. And I said, I turned around to him and said, what part of Monaghan are you from? And he went, I'm from Cavan. <laughs> I, I almost got a box for my troubles. What usually works the other way because Monaghan people are constantly accused of being from Cavan. Uh, especially by kind of anyone, anyone in Munster kind of Connacht area, because they just lump us all into one. Well, I think anywhere outside of Munster, you know, if you're not related to another family member um, that you're going to marry, then you are kind of lumped <laughs> off together. <laughs> <laughs> Which my my mother's from Cork, and they they think Tipperary. Well, Tipperary to them is Northern Ireland. It's kind of weird. That's the north, like but they don't pass that border either. Yeah, I guess with the North and South riding, like and the and the, the years and years of ethnic tension there, I mean that could sort of work out. Um, <laughs> all right, listen, just you you you're a qualified journalist, you're a newsreader. How did you realise that you could make people laugh a lot? <laughs> That's a um, a bizarre question. I don't think I've even considered <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was always doing funny funny voices. Uh, particularly there was a lot of them in our house because my mother was from Cork so her voice was way up here like that all the time and then my father's from Monaghan so he speaks a big brow, big broad vowels as wide as fields so you know you've got Monaghan and Cork in one place and then I had cousins from Uri and they just had a totally they're to- like they're only up the road from us so they're just totally totally different altogether uh, even though uh, and I've always got this laugh you know Uri they were from Uri but considered themselves Armagh because of the part of Uri they're in Camlock is kind of technically into Armagh so they, they you know they um or, but then I always said it was because Armagh was doing, you know, around <laughs> the period Armagh was doing well in the championship, they had come of age and still hadn't got over down in 91. Um, so there's loads of accents, but, you know, there were four of us, as in, I have three siblings, there's four kids in the house, and I, for some reason I'm the one who seemed to fall uh, into noticing all these accents and regurgitating them. But it was also interested in journalism. And I was kind of, it was a moment where you know, education sort of got in the way of comedy because, you know, you can't, pick, you can't pick comedy or impressions or satire on the list in your CAO form. So journalism as well was the closest thing to comedy as it turned out. And, and that's just the way it is. And I, I kind of the brand of comedy I do now, it's a lot of political satire. Politics spills into sport, as we know, uh, an awful lot. And um, I suppose I kind of do... Journalism through the medium of comedy would be the, the way I'd sometimes describe it. Think, Although often it's just, there isn't any satire, it's just pure crack. Like when you're doing Marty Marcy, there's no satire to be done on Marty. There's no exposure. Well, not that type of exposure. And uh, Marty's just pure fun. I'm Marty and I like to party. How does Marty react when you meet him? What, what, like, is he happy with his takeoff? Marty's delighted because I suppose he was someone so ingrained in cultural life in Ireland that he was sport, but there was something more to Marty. And I think I brought that facet of his life to the fore for him. And he's only finally admitted, literally in the last few weeks, it took a pandemic for Marty to admit that 
I'm Marty and Like the Party was a comedy creation that we came up with on Callan's Kicks <laughs> and that he very cleverly took as his own. And uh, because we did I'm Marty and Like the Party was, and I didn't want to do it. And the, it was, we had a TV series all of six years ago. And James Cotter, the director, who does a lot of work at Blind Boy and the, he does the rubber bands, all their TV work and so on. Uh, he was Republic of Telly for years and years. He said, that's the catchphrase we're going to use for Marty. He said, no, that's far too naff. And he said, exactly, it's perfect, Marty. And Marty took the catchphrase as his own and it's a very clever way to defeat uh, a kind of a send-up of yourself by actually just taking ownership yourself. So then it appeared like I was just doing a lame version of Marty's slogan. But now we've reclaimed copyright of it once again. That has, has anyone ever reacted uh, badly? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking, Paul Gavin was just sort of like just kind of a, a nonsensical thing. But has anyone really <laughs> not really liked being like her central? I suppose. I mean, I thought Enda Kenny was. And he didn't like. Finnegan never liked it. Never really understood the comedy versions of themselves. But Enda was clever enough never to even acknowledge that Callan's Kicks existed or that I was doing it in any way, shape, or form. Shimon up the road and mind the dresser. There was definitely a time where I think we that my version of Enda had become almost more powerful than the real Enda. I suppose it sounds like a brag to say that we sort of shaped, but it, it does happen no matter what leader you have in a country. The comedy version can become the version of it. And I think maybe, I think I've probably run into more difficulty with the current Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, uh, because we're close in age, I suppose he's kind of, and he definitely liked the version of himself at first because he was sort of the thorn in Enda's side for years because it was like, hello, my people. Yeah. And you know, Enda was, Oh, was a sort of like a what I saw as a kind of a merchant ivory. You know those old movies, those old period dramas, ones, yeah. where he couldn't quite express himself. You know, he couldn't express his love for Ireland and the people. So it always came across as a very strange, kind of emotionally constipated figure. Whereas Leo was kind of suave in the background. Oh God, you're such an embarrassment to the entire <laughs> Oh my God, face palm. Uh, and then, of course, when Leo becomes the leader, we had to focus heavily on him because everybody gets to know the Taoiseach really well in Ireland because they're in the news every single day. Uh, when they're Taoiseach. And obviously, given the house crisis and various, you're harder on whoever has the power, and it happens to be Leo Radker. And we've had, um, God, has it been three years already? Yeah, it's been three years of Leo. So we've been hard on him, and, and Finnegan people are sick of it, and I think Leo himself is sick of it. Uh, so I'm just kind of waiting for Mio Martin to come back in. <laughs> so that, because people think, oh, your man, Kanskicks is really biased against Finnegale because Finnegale's been in power for the time t- for the entire time the Kanskicks has been on air since 2013. So uh, it will be, and even though it'll be Fianna Fáil Finnegale, that'll be the concentration. Really, the country focuses on the Taoiseach. Yeah, and so everyone's going to get to lo- know Michal Martin, and I think it's going to be a huge moment. We don't know it yet, particularly because it's going to be all about Cork because he's, you know, people in Cork might have whined about Fianna Fáil and probably never voted for them, you know, young pe- people our generation and younger. Uh, but then it's going to be, well, you know, the Taoiseach's from Cork, you know. <laughs> and we're going to know, play, we're going to know place names of Cork like never before. Ballon Lock uh, will become, you know, uh, like Casabar was for Enda, because that's where Michal, although he's from Turner's Cross, Ballon Lock is kind of area, which is kind of posh Cork a bit, isn't it? Because you've got um, Cork Con Rugby Club. Yeah. In Ballinlock. You always think of Montesnati is like the real posh cork, like, you know, Montesnati. Yeah, Montesnati is like, you know, we're from really like, oh my gosh. And there's, if you hear someone from Cork putting on a posh cork accent, you go, what are you doing? You're, are you doing Mayfield now? No, like, <laughs> this is not, this is like really posh cork. Oh my gosh. And Cork McSherry, which is kind of like Michal's second home. Cork oh, yes. McSherry. Cork yeah. Mac. They never say the full name, of course. 
<laughs> like you have to learn imagine coming to Ireland to learn place names and you go um, uh, my favourite one is Bally James Duff which nobody <laughs> in Bally James Duff or anyone in Cavan refers to by the full name Balladuff it's, it's like what? Balladuff but sort of like we can't talk about it we've got a place that's clearly called Clones and we all call it Clonus <laughs> It's that, it's that lovely, like, continental attitude that goes around Clonus. Like, you know, it's like kind of on the border. You know, it's, it has a kind of yeah, like yeah. beautiful, you know, laissez-faire attitude. Like, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> Clones. Um, My favourite story about Clonus is in the mid-90s, probably 95, 96, when Neil Jordan came to film Pat McCabe's The Butcher Boy in the hometown of Clonus. And to make it look, because it's obviously set in 1963, the Cuban Missile Crisis, to make Clonus look like 1963, they had to do precisely nothing. <laughs> and we love the place. When you go up for an Ulster final, there's nothing like it. And by God, we are missing it at the minute. And we would have been, what, probably two weeks away from yeah. from Ulster final season. Like, you're slagging off different personalities within that, but you're a huge GAA fan. I am. I mean, like, you don't get a choice, do you? You grow up into it and that's it. You're in for life. <laughs> And we love to kind of look at the Brits and go, oh, thank God we don't have a class-based society in Ireland. And they, but we're more tribal than anywhere else. <laughs> and the irony being that I, I think it's the Brits who actually drew the, the county boundaries. From uh, I know they're kind of based on old chiefs and so on, Tyr uh, Connell or whatever. But I think it's a British system. But we are really tribal. And you literally judge people within seconds in your mind when you hear that person from Offaly, other from Roscommon, Cork, Mayo, Kerry, and so on. And then we leave the country and we're all just to, in it together. You know, we're all from Ireland, for, <laughs> but it can distill. And then you're within the county, then it's parish by parish and club. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't play the game. My, my brother did. He was pretty good midfielder, Shane. He's actually over six foot. I'm, uh, like, I'm Tom Cruise height, you know, so <laughs> low that it's not even worth measuring. Uh, so I was used to that. But, I, you know, because we grew up on a farm, it was a dairy farm, it was constant work. Maybe because going to matches was the holiday uh, away for the day and even like the pressure would come on you know like extra time or matches running late were a disaster because you just have to get back to milk the cows there's constant pressure but there was um, that was the kind of r- relief you know and my mother being from East Cork because no one again is from Cork if you're from Cork that means the city you're either from North West uh, or East Cork they are very specific and that's horse that's hur- hurling territory uh, like Mark Landers the, the double um, Captain and Joe Dean was big down there, and of course Waterford lurked uh, uh, on the horizon. Yeah, because outside Yall, the, the main road Yall to um, uh, to Tallow in West Waterford, and everyone drank in a place called the Halfway Bar, which literally means halfway between Yall and Waterford, but it meant halfway between Waterford and Cork, and they just don't get along, and they get vicious. So totally steeped in the GA, and I would shout. For Cork, even though people go, ah, oh, yeah, you're in shed because, but that's because they were winning for a time. But now I can I claim they were there for the long run. And I mean, it was like as a teenager when you kind of realise and you start to get very passionate about it. Um, you know, you're kind of once over the age of ten, you get kind of serious into it. It was it was dire times in Monaghan. Like it was just dreadful. Uh, I remember distinctly. I think it's '95, which was a very hot summer, and we were going really well against Derry. Uh, Derry were a big team at the time, big powerhouse. They'd won, was it 93? Yeah. And like Monaghan would, this was typical championship summer, I remember. Monaghan would be seven points up against Derry at halftime and still managed to lose by over 10. Like I think 15 point drum, you know, Joe Brawley blowing kisses to the crowd, which was unheard of then to celebrate the scores. And it's still unheard of. Amazing. 
is still frowned upon, even though, you know, Robbie Keane, we live in a country, same country where Robbie Keane does the archer thing and does the tumbles. You know, you cannot celebrate scoring anything. <laughs> you can punch the air a little bit. That's it, isn't it? Anything more than that is extravagant. A firm handshake. And that's yeah. notions. Uh, so it was a really difficult time. Um, actually, I mean, God, we went 30 years without an Ulster title until 2013. Uh, when nobody was really paying attention as well before that, I mean, it was a huge. I I never realized it until oh. last week. So my and do you remember you were only a wee lad when that when Cork played Monaghan? Uh, yeah, but I remember it because there was serious tension in the house. Yeah, because the deal was that we were that my mother wanted to put the Cork flag up uh, because she was staying at home and because my father was going to the match and I didn't get to go to that um, uh, semi final because uh, because my brother went to go. You know, because he's the kind of whatever strange rules we had in the 80s. <laughs> you, know, you will stay there and we will go here. And, uh, but we had a bit of success. The Monaghan ladies in the 90s won two All-Irelands. Uh, so that was, a, that was a great bit of crack. And it was kind of the start of people paying attention to ladies' football. Then it was kind of a drift and now finally they're paying attention and the, the attendances are very good, uh, particularly when it gets into the late stages, although Monaghan hadn't uh, come back there. But I mean, it's, we've had a great couple of years Yep. And uh, like Conor McManus, Conor McManus, Conor McManus, you know, three all-stars. And like, he's no spring chicken anymore. So, you know, obviously the pandemic's a disaster for the entire world. But hey, the championship, the championship was especially sad for us, particularly because we, in Monaghan, it was going really well. And then last year was a real dud uh, when, like, oh my God, was it Cavan we lost to? I, I erased most of it from my memory. Knocked out by Cavan and then losing to Armagh in the qualifiers. And I always, I have a conspiracy theory that the, they put the Ulster teams together always in the qualifiers to knock, knock each other out just because we have the audacity of being the last proper competitive province. Exactly. You know, it was a, it's a kind of a weird split because part of it is almost, I think your postal address is loud, isn't it? It's Dundalk. A lot of people in the scheme are loud, but we're no, we're proudly on the Monaghan side of things. Carrick McCross is our, is our postcode, yeah. Okay. In the scheme, you've got the, it's always, I always love where people say, well, in the scheme, in the red and green course like the the grattons and yeah. it's it's now like a i mean i brought you young hurlers up there from Dundalk, and it was, it, hurling's taken hold it's it's a terrific kind of vibrant place for me anyway that seemed to have grown with the celtic tiger had gotten more new people in so on and so forth what was it like in in ski in terms of like the intensity for GAA? Actually, that's something, one of the earliest memories I would have would be, uh, because in the scheme, we the senior championship a lot in the 80s, um, usually beaten out of it by the Fawes in the end from, yeah. from Blaney. Again, there's another place named that no one calls Castle Blaney. Blaney. It's Blaney. And uh, there were ferocious battles um, in Carrick and in Blaney for some reason. Blaney was kind of, he held a lot of inter-county games as well. Uh, and wearing those uh, the little cotton caps that you kind of see in images in Britain in the 40s or something. <laughs> you kind of made your own caps. It was, it was a very uh, sustainable uh, uh, thing. If flags were like, there were very few flags around in those days. It was just roaring and shouting and somebody, you know, some mouthful of smoking on top of you and you know, just <laughs> swearing out loud. And then the quiet bit in the match where you'd hear someone, Come on, Jeff <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, it was just, it was ferocious, but it was passionate stuff. The eighties were a grim, grim time, and this was our sport. This was war. Stanley Kubrick had that theory that uh, wars exist just because man, men in particular, love war. They love conflict, and sport is the only way to stop them going to war on each other. So they do. They, they play it all out in the pitch and in in you know 
the tension along the sidelines and so on. And you were always looking through barbed wire and stuff. Inneskeen would have a very proud heritage because we were one of the, you know, one of the, the first clubs in the country. In the, the, the first club ever in, the, in yeah, Ireland. Well, in 1884, like when the GA was founded, uh, the club, whoever won the kind of county championship represented the county. So Inneskeen won the first Monaghan championship and won the first Ulster title. So Monaghan wins the first Ulster title and it was Inneskeen. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it kind of culminates nicely in 2006 when we won the, uh, we won the intermediate championship the first time so it was a real All-Ireland title in Mon- and the only All-Ireland title in Mon- and particularly good because you know Cross Midland is very close to us and there's a lot of people who would have gone to school with people in Cross um, uh, you know obviously won a string of All-Irelands and we're just like a pointless Armagh County Championship you know it's huge and, and there's a lot of people in North Monaghan still are angry about the fact that yeah the fact that Monaghan is still called that we call ourselves the Farney Army and the Farney because the Farney is very much the size of the county uh, but there is good reason for that and I've, one of the theories apparently is that the, the, the foundation of the GAA in Monaghan was in the Farney Hotel in Carrick Macross Oh I never knew and that the, They called themselves the Farney as a result Well that makes sense Shut up, shut up Orioles Exactly, Ariela. Well, because it is it's something that uh, I remember now maybe I could be wrong and someone I'm sure will point it out the Grattans um, were formed in 1883, the year before the GAA was formed. Right, possibly beforehand. Wow, okay. So uh, I, I, I'm, now I could be wrong. I'm going to have to look this up when we finish up and mention at the end of the podcast when I do a sort of recap. Because yeah. I think they did. And, and also, I know that. Yeah, of course, because there were clubs before the GAA became an official organization, which is. Exactly. I think and then there were the associations in the scheme that Paddy Kavanagh was a goalie for in the scheme. I think famously left the goals during a match to buy an ice cream or something <laughs> and misappropriated funds, uh, admission money, uh, which is found in a biscuit tin under his bed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but he left great descriptions of matches and like he was playing football with, with actually like, you know, uh, calves, bladders and mad stuff. It's crazy. And eventually his mother pulled him out of football because it was injury. You would break your legs and him being the oldest in the house, they couldn't afford to go without um, you know, uh, someone to work the farm. So, you know, mad shit. Apart from yourself, the other great name to come out of Inskeen, of course, is Paddy Kavanagh. And, it, you know... Apart from me. That's your Kavanagh. I guess, like, you know, so it, it's, it's one of these things where, like, you know, you've got this, like, you know, Paddy Kavanagh country. And, of course, in school, we would have read, like, most people know the first couple of lines of Sunday Grey Soil. And, you know, I'd have, you know, obviously just because of family from there would have read his poetry and books and so on and so forth. So it was, a, it was always kind of that interest in it. Do you think that the, people still associate um, kind of in skiing with Paddy Kavanagh? I mean, I know the festival's there in September. I don't know if it'll go ahead this year. It's not happening oh, this not year. Happening. But oh. yeah, no, but uh, yeah, everyone who did the Leaving Cert up to a certain era because he has started disappearing from the Leaving Cert. You know, Stony Grey Soil of Monaghan is the first thing often people say when you say you're from Monaghan, never mind, and then you say you're from Inneskeen, and they go, oh my God, the bicycles go by in twos and threes. And you have that great Tommy Tiernan stint, you know, the bicycles go by in twos and threes. No one on them, just bicycles. <laughs> and uh, yeah, huge association with it. And of course, when you're young and, and something's associated with your place, you don't care about your locality. Obviously, in terms of sport, you do, but you don't care about the history or anything around that. And you don't know about it until you get it. Because as soon as you leave then to explore the big wide world, that you're constantly salivating after because when you're in a small place, uh, then you start looking back and getting nostalgic and you romanticise the place you come from and then you get interested 
in Cavan, and particularly everyone who's come from, uh, and it strikes a chord particularly with people who come from rural Ireland and end up in a, in a big city, whether it be Cork, Galway, or or Dublin. Um, no matter where you're from, it kind of strikes strikes a chord. Uh, and Cavanagh did that sort of odyssey, and he physically walked for the first time getting to Dublin. He walked from Inniskeen, and he recounts this journey in The Green Fool. It's, it's kind of brilliant, uh, like sleeping in hay barns and stuff around Slane and just uh, people shouting at him, and his boots worn to bits by the time he gets down. And uh, like you're into the 1920s at this stage. But that's what he did. And um, it's kind of, you know, he was obviously his best, <laughs> he was his own best immortalizer because he said he was the first person to write about rural Ireland and peasant Ireland, let's face it, uh, as an insider. Most of the time it was, you know, it was well-intentioned people like Yates and so on, but there were gentry who wrote about the countryside and these wonderful people, delightful people, there they are, with uh, uh, potato sack trousers. Whereas he was an insider who educated himself and wrote about it, and that's what's kind of amazing about it all. And we understand it now, finally, but it took me, what, 39 years as the final whistle blows on this episode of the Sunday's Game, remember we're back on Sunday with part two of our chat with Oliver Callum, where he'll give us a little bit of the reaction of GAA personalities to his impersonations and what lies ahead in the Irish entertainment industry. Also, there's a little mistake earlier on where I said that Roger Federer was 83. He is, in fact, 38. Those treatments in the Swiss clinics are working very, very well. So until Sunday, take care of yourselves and each other.